Hello again. Welcome to session two. I'm with Paul again. Paul the Harris. <laughs> Paul the Harris. Hello, everybody. <laughs> um, just before we start off, we've, we've got the windows open because it's roasting hot. At the time of filming this, it's the middle of June. There's a bit of a bit of a heat wave. I warn you, it's going to get moist. Okay. <laughs> I love that word, moist. Many don't. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> Especially. Farmers with crops. Yeah, <laughs> don't like it being too moist. Although some moisture right now in the middle of June could be very popular with farmers, I'm sure, because we could do a bit, bit with a bit of rain. Although very true. It deluges it rather than consistent getting thunderstorms, aren't we, at the moment? <laughs> so, with that, that as a premise to kick off today, we're going to finish what we started, which is always a good thing, in session one, which is Paul talking about man management and human behaviour. Remember his Vita process to help you understand people's thinking styles and behavioural styles. Wasn't that good? He's got a bit more to say on that. Uh, although, before we start, I think you wanted to touch on something we also finished with last time, Paul. Yes, it was your five minutes. Just do something for five to ten minutes and the difference, the one, the third of one third percent. Third of one percent rule. Um, and it struck me that when I was thinking about, uh, I think at the end of the last session, I talked about spending five minutes a day with your staff. What difference could that make? Yes. And when I actually did the calculation of an average farm worker that might work 280 days a year with holidays and weekends yeah i did the maths um and you spent five minutes a day it would be the equivalent of spending 24 hours non-stop with your staff in a year 24 hours without a break now can you imagine how much that could achieve so by just doing this five minutes a day of which might just be how are you how's it going well your three questions what's gone well today what could we have done better what we're going to do better tomorrow those sorts of questions just five minutes a day would mean you end up spending a full day 24 hours without a break or two and a half working days if you if you're busy yeah with your team just by spending five minutes a day so just for context i thought it, it certainly got me thinking dave after we were together before that five minutes a day idea is very powerful and to add on to that, don't your team deserve that? Mm. A day of your time and expertise and knowledge. Don't they deserve that? And doesn't your productivity deserve mm. that? Your business's productivity. Mm. So we, let's now kick off back into finishing what we do, we're doing with Paul about behavioural understanding. Paul, just give, it, just give us a 60-second overview. Remind everybody listening to this in case they didn't get one. Um what is Vita? Oh, Vita. So Vita is a profiling, a personality profiling system that we've developed specifically for the agricultural sector because it is a simplification of lots of other great systems that are out there, things like Insights and DISC and Myers-Briggs. So it's been around, the psychology has been around for a long time. We've just simplified it down. Uh, and it's based on sort of Carl Jung psychology, which says that we have four broad personality styles or traits and we break those down into visionary which stands for people who are really keen to just crack on very results orientated often looking forwards uh, often use that, that hand gesture yeah, as well actually yeah. they'll point that way yeah it's going to go forward then the the i stands for investigator which is somebody who's really keen on the details so wants to understand exactly how things work might ask lots of questions about well why are we doing that and how do we do that um and and tend to work in a more structured way the t stands for team maker so that's for somebody who really relationships are important and they like to get on with people and they don't like disharmony and the adventurer rather like the word suggests is somebody that is open to new opportunities is loves change and often gets bored easily 
But the most important thing about personality styles is that we are all, all four. So in all of the systems that you'll come across, we'll talk about preferences. So we have a preference for often one, sometimes two sets of those behaviours, but they are like a simple set of dials that we can turn up and we can turn down. We have a fixed point where we start, but it is only a start point. Everybody can flex their style, which is why I said last time that we can all be leaders. There are certain traits within those personality styles that might be more beneficial, the ability to be decisive, which might come very naturally to somebody who's more visionary, might be less natural to somebody who's more considered or more relationship orientated. Yeah. But you can just learn to dial those up. So Vita is a way of describing it, but fundamentally we're all practically perfect in every way. We just need to understand that sometimes we need to just flex our dials. Okay. okay. So wh why do we need to worry about managing people? What, what, what's the impact to, uh, to the farm owner of us not doing it? Right, brilliant. So I think for those listening or watching, uh, often people say to me their biggest headache, the thing that keeps them awake at night, is worrying about their staff. And that can be from a small family farm where it might just be son or daughter or uncle that you're working with. The relationships are often what keep us awake at night So uh, and worry about that. And particularly from a succession planning perspective, we do worry mm. about who's going to take over the farm when I'm not here. All those are people related. Often as well, um, it's the puzzler, as I call it. People can work out what to do if a cow isn't well or a tractor's not working. We can, we can normally sort that out, but we can scratch our heads uh, when, when, when yeah. we just don't quite know where to go with, with how to deal with the situation with people. So it can be a big headache. So that's the, one of the first reasons yep. to think about it. Yep. From a productivity and efficiency and profitability perspective as well, uh, again, machines do what humans tell them to do. So, you know, you, you can spend you can spend a fortune on a great smashing new tractor, but it's the tractor driver that drives it into the shed and smashes the wing mirror. And actually understanding why that person has done that, why they've behaved like that. Are they having a bad day? Is it their personality style? Have they not got attention to detail? It's still people that look after our livestock, that look after our machinery and our land. So people really are the core until we get to you know the scary ai situation where it's all run by robots and i don't mean the robots we have on a dairy farm which do the milking of the cow i mean <laughs> the physical robots that are walking around like r2d2 for those that know star wars um is it r2d2 was it r2d2 yeah yeah, yeah. no r2d2 was the little one wasn't it it was what, what was the big one c3po there we go c3po showing his age <laughs> Yeah. So until we get lots of C-3PO's, for those who are old enough to remember that Star Wars, um, we still need the human person to drive the tractors, to look after the stock, to, to manage the land, to, to pick the fruit, all those sorts of things, because the machines need driving and need looking after. So it, people are at the heart of our businesses, but often they're not at the heart of our time and our attention. Mm. And that's one of the challenges. So that's why we need to have a focus five minutes a day perhaps, on the people side of our business. To give some context there, many, many years ago, I did some work um, as a, it was called a consultant host. So this big energy company in the UK had been taken over by a massive German energy company. Mm -hmm. 
and their leaders were coming over and just spending time in a training centre speaking to different industry professionals to understand the British business mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. So it was sort mm -hmm. of culture immersion. Mm -hmm. And I got basically, I got paid to sit in a room and just talk with and listen to business leaders from Germany. And one of them one day was puffing on this huge <laughs> cigar and he leant forward and went, can I ask you a personal question? I went, here we go. <laughs> I thought, where's, where's this going? And he said, you might not be able to answer this, he says, but in Germany, a leader will ask a manager or the team to do something. They agree what needs doing, when it needs doing by, and they go and do it. Mm -hmm. He says, in Britain, <laughs> alluding to what you said <laughs> earlier, he said, he said, you ask the manager or the team to do something, and they say they will do it, but they don't. <laughs> but they don't come and tell you they haven't done it. Why is that? And it goes back to what you say. We can fix animals in a lot of cases. We can fix machinery. We can even, some of us, not me, fix computers. Mm -hmm. But human beings is something we tend to go, ooh, <laughs> as soon as anyone's got a problem, be it health, emotional, mental, well, anything at all, any problem with them understanding something mm -hmm. you've asked them to do, we tend to just go, ooh, because it's people. What, what we do... Uh, what, you remember on holiday? Yeah. You find British people on holiday, if they're not being understood, what do they do? Shout. Yes, exactly. Very clearly, shout. We just tend to speak louder and say it again, you know. Increase our diction and volume. <laughs> yeah. And I see that sometimes with that's the approach to people. If it's not working, just tell them again or even shout at them and get frustrated. And I think what we're trying to do in these first couple of sessions is, is help us to say to go a bit deeper than that and understand why people might be responding to us in the way that they are and understanding how we can perhaps flex our style and the way that we communicate bear in mind those three questions how do you want to be approached or spoken to how do you not want to be approached or spoken yeah. to and what do you bring to a team those can give us those fantastic clues to how that person might want to be managed and led and just those five minutes in those three those five minutes with those three questions could absolutely transform the productivity and ultimately profitability of your farm you said the word clues links beautifully into my next question because i was going to ask you what are the clues you look for when you go onto a farm what are the clues you look for to spot a farm manager or farm owner's style style yeah so there are clues and i think um a lot of the work here in terms of spotting people's personality styles is a bit like sherlock holmes you've got to sort of have your wits about you you've got to be looking to all of the different areas so let's say for instance um uh, actually a good example would be if i said to you jeremy clarkson and you're sitting in his office like this and that expression he has jeremy clarkson what might that clue to his personality style? Do you think, do you think he's, a, he's a team maker that likes to build relationships? Do you think Jeremy Clarkson... And by the way, if Jeremy watches this, you know, be interested to profile you, sir. Um, would he be somebody who's um, very into the detail and very structured and makes lots of considered decisions? Or is he more someone that wants to just crack on and he's open to lots of new ideas? Yeah? Mm -hmm. If we think of someone like Jeremy Clarkson, he'd probably fit more what we would call the visionary adventurer 
profile, which is obviously uh, entrepreneurial. Somebody who is, he'll go and buy a Lamborghini tractor rather than the most sensible tractor. He didn't check to see what the Lamborghini would do or you know, what it would perform like. He just liked it because it was the best, he thought. Um, so you can spot clues from how people uh, like Jeremy Clarkson will, will behave. On a farm that's maybe, if you go into a workshop on a farm, workshops are often a good clue to how a farm is run, either by the person in charge of the workshop or the farm owner. So imagine going into a workshop and all of the spanners are all lined up on a nice backboard. Everything's numbered with the, start, the, 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 the size of the spanner. Or painted in the shape of the spanner. Maybe even yeah, there's a backboard, yeah, yeah where you put this one here, you put this one, and everything's laid out and there's nothing lying around. That might be a clue to that person's more of an investigator. They like things to be structured and, and organised. There are only clues. We can't make assumptions. This is not about stereotyping. But it gives you a clue. And actually, if, you know, for someone like that, you would know you'd need to be on time for a meeting if you're having a meeting with them because mm. they get very irritated by people who can't arrive on time. Maybe if um, uh, you go onto a farm and uh, you meet lots of the family there, one of the best clues you can have is I often ask the question, what's important to you about your farm? Uh, or give me some background to your farm. Often when I'm having that first conversation, if, that, if the person answers with, well, what do you want to know? Or, no, I'm just wondering, can you give me some background on the farm? Well, been here 30 years, we've got some amount of acres. What else do you need to know? That could be a clue to that visionary style of, I don't really want to have this conversation particularly. <laughs> if I have the conversation <laughs> with somebody who's, and I ask, yeah, tell me a bit about your farm. Well, we've got uh, 432 acres. We've got uh, uh, five sheds. We've got, we've been here since 1963 and my grandfather had the, lots of extra information and detail. Might be a clue to them being an investigator. So we would need to make sure we give them detail. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about your farm. Well, actually, I work with my brother and my uncle and we've got three kids involved and we're just a big family, really. Mm, maybe a clue to being a, a more of a team maker style. We're at the centre of the community. Yeah, we? and, you get yeah, the idea, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or oh, tell me about your farm. Well, I just bought some cracking new machines. Let me come and show you the new tractor. Might be the adventurous style. So just by talking to people and seeing the clues on the farm, you know, Lots of new equipment everywhere. Again, might be an adventure. And I say might because it's really important we don't make those assumptions. They are clues. That's why it's the Sherlock Holmes. Keep asking questions. Have a look around. The tidy farms are often run by more of the investigator team maker style. The untidy farms can be run by people like the adventurers who've forgotten to put the spanner back. By the way, if you go into the workshop and there's a spanner missing, have a guess who's not put it back. <laughs> The adventurer style, because he's yeah. put it down in the tractor and forgotten where he's put it. Now, now, this might sound quite flippant, but these are the things that create tension within teams. Yeah. Is those differences is why can't you put the spanner back on the board where the shape of the spanner is? Oh, well, I just forgot. I put it down in the tractor. Yeah, these are the things that can frustrate teams. And once we start to understand those differences and spot those clues, then we can become much more effective. Wonderful. Thanks, Paul. So, Paul, what if, by, by freak of nature, everybody on the farm or most people tend to have a similar personality style? Does that clash or complement or how, how would question. that work? Again, my favourite answer, it depends. Right. <laughs> okay. So it depends partly on the size of the team. So yeah. um, over the years I've been doing this, 
in, by principle, you would say, well, what you really want is a mixture of all four styles. Yeah. So you want somebody who's more decisive, somebody who's going to be more structured and ordered, somebody who's going to be concerned about the team, and somebody who's going to bring new ideas, of course. Um, so if you have just one of those, if everybody, for example, on the team was more visionary, and they were therefore very decisive, very structured, what can happen then is, who'd be right? Well, everybody, because they'd all think they were right, because they've got the right answer so that can cause clashes well it would either be gloriously successful yeah or a complete car crash. absolutely <laughs> yeah. totally one or the other yeah. if everybody was very high investigator so that was their preference so it was all about an analyzing and data and structure and being very organized who make the decisions well we all would but only when we've got a bit more data we need to be a bit more research so things might not move that quickly if everybody was very structured like that so so that would be the scenario where um, by four o'clock in the afternoon, everything is right and ready to start. Now it's time for dinner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bit of procrastination, possibly. Yeah. Or it'd be more likely to be, we need a new tractor, but I, I just need a bit more time to, to think about that. So we'll just take the tractor up for a bit longer. And then what can often happen is that often new investment is a bit slower, quite rightly at times, but they're more cautious. If all of us were team makers and we were all very relationship orientated, it would be lovely. Yeah, we'd all get on very well, nobody would fall out, but who'd make the decisions there? Possibly nobody, because they don't want to upset anybody, so we can get a level of indecisiveness or hesitancy. And if we were all had a preference for the adventurer style, it'd be a great place to work, but we'd all be down the pub having a, having a drink <laughs> uh, and you know, possibly spending money on things we didn't need to spend it on. So the moral of the story, it's what my, my Team Dynamics workshop is all about, is showing you that at the end we do need a balance of all four because having everybody the same generally is not going to pull on those natural strengths of each of the four personality styles. But there is a caveat. Right. And it can be in a very small team. So if you imagine a farm where there's just two or three of you, and maybe two of you are similar personality style, and the third person is very different, they can feel quite isolated. And we can get this sense of, I don't really fit in here. Generally speaking, the bigger the team, the more likely you are to have other people who are similar personality style in smaller teams. And often not by design, but by almost instinct, we recruit people who are like us. And in the smaller team, that can mean that all three of you are the same. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Yes, and, yes. and now, in, in my experience, there's no right or wrong here. Um, but in my experience, sometimes if you are a very small team, sometimes you have to accept you're not going to have one of those personality styles. Mm -hmm. And actually, you'll work better if you all just think the same. So if you imagine there was three of you on a, on a small arable farm where a couple of tractor drivers and a working farm manager, and all of you just want to get in the morning, decide what needs to be done, crack on and do it. If there was somebody that said, hang on a second, can I just have another half hour discussion on this? We can get that frustration almost amplified because you're now the odd person out. So generally speaking, we would say, let's have a blend of the personality styles. And that's good as long as we understand the differences. There are occasions when it can work having people of a very similar personality style in a smaller team. And a small team, and I've seen this myself, a small team or a family even, mm. or a family business, they do create their own little personality or culture. And I've seen it happen where they don't understand each other and it's butting heads all the time. And I've seen it where they learn to tolerate, accept, or, or better still, truly understand each other's strengths the way that you see this thing that Vita could help a farm in your workshops that 
instead of butting heads. Sometimes it's like that, sometimes mm-hmm. it's like that, sometimes it's like that. And they become more effective. So, again, please tell me if I'm wrong, Paul, mm-hmm. but in my head I see sometimes a visionary can sort of oversee a team and the team can go, well, just because they're a visionary doesn't mean to say they're always right. We've got an opinion. But instead of butting heads, they can actually understand that that person needs to be heard, yep. understood, and then might be open to yeah. feedback it is and other this, ideas. You're right. It's this whole flexing. So, yeah. um, you know, if you are somebody that likes just to crack on and get on with things in the morning and not have lots of personal conversations it's recognizing just that five minutes or two minutes of how are you to somebody who's a team maker in your team can make all the difference where we're not butting heads something i would also add to this which is that often and i might say this at the beginning but when we are looking in our personal relationships often when i'm doing this in workshops husband and wife or a family farm will come on and um, the, the, the husband and wife or the partners, two people working together, can actually find that their personality styles are very different. So I often describe it as opposites <laughs> attract, you know. And, and we often find in our, in our relationships, our personal relationships could be friendships, but particularly in our romantic relationships, we often find that we subconsciously, we don't go out to the pub and say, I need someone different to me. But we seem to end up with somebody who either complements our personality style or is quite different. That in itself can cause frustrations in in relationships. But at work, we often come in subconsciously. I think I did say this in the previous session. Just wanting people to be like us. It's almost less tolerant at work than we are outside of work of those differences. At home, we recognise that our differences are what bring us together and get that sort of combined unit. At work, we just get frustrated that people are not like us. And it's actually taking that that mentality of difference at home works, difference at work can work as well. And again, reinforces what you said earlier about an understanding and acceptance of difference. Big word. You can dial up and dial down to best suit the communication with that other person. And acceptance is a really good word because it begins mm. with self-acceptance or yeah. self-awareness, <laughs> accepting actually how I might come across to people, and then it's acceptance that other people might be different uh, but different to me. In fact, in my latest book called Happy Team, Happy Farm, which is available on Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, it is actually all about this, and it's about a farming family. You talked about farming families. Yeah. What's tragic and I see it from time to time, and this is quite sad really, is the amount of times that um, a sibling or a son or a daughter will say, I just can't work with dad. you know, And he, 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 he just won't change anything. And I've been to college and I've learned all this new stuff and there's new things we can do. And actually at the core of that issue is not necessarily the the family relationship, but the personality style relationship where the yeah. dad doesn't want to change anything because he's very investigator and wants to keep things safe and secure. And the son's an adventurer and loves change and a variety. And what can happen is one of the family members, often the children, leave the farm. They say they go and work somewhere else. Yeah, and actually, if they just understood, taking aside the can often be family dynamics that create that tension... If it isn't a family dynamic, but it's a team dynamic, it's actually, I'm just different to you, Dave. I'm different to some of you uh, listening and, and, and watching this. Once we understand that, I have had families in tears with relief to understand this isn't us as a family. This is us as human beings being different people. That can be transformational for family farms as well as the bigger teams. 
the, there's an expression in neuroscience which is yogurt knows yogurt. Right. So if you get explain that if you get a live natural bio yogurt again, I I haven't done this experiment myself. <laughs> Maybe we should. Should we do it live one day? <laughs> <laughs> but if you get a live natural bio yogurt on a sterile surface and put one blob here and one blob here, they actually try to get closer to work together. It's the same as trees in the roots under the ground are interconnected and they support a, a group of trees will support a tree that's in ill health. Wow. So it's, it's network. It tries to be closer to those like it around it. Mm -hmm. But if you put yogurt next to something that's not yogurt, it'll either do nothing or try and move away a little move bit. Away a bit. And, and, and that's exactly Absolutely, the point you're making. Yeah. So I'm not calling your children yogurt. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just, right. just want to make that perfectly clear. <laughs> but, but you get the point. Absolutely, yeah. So, Paul, we talked about what if everyone's the same. I kind of assuming that people a farm can operate absolutely fine if everybody's got a different style absolutely yeah so again i've said this lots of times there's no right or wrong or better or worse when it mm -hmm. comes to personality style there's just difference in fact you can apply that to the world actually but that's a, a subject for another day but there's no better or right or wrong or better or worse there's just difference and we are different and yet if everybody is different that can work just as well as if people are, are you know in the smaller team if they're similar but ideally if everybody is slightly different that can often be what people when people ring me and say i just can't work with these people because they're all so different once you realize the power of difference the strength of difference rather than as a weakness. Great then you can point. pull on all yes. of those unique strengths of those yes. personality styles. Mm -hmm. That's when a team really starts to sing then, when we're recognising the real power in the fact that you're challenging me and asking me a question that I hadn't thought of. Brilliant. You're saying to me, go and check in with, with, with Alice because she doesn't look well today. Thank you. I hadn't noticed that. That's the power of the team when we recognise the power of our differences. And if we understand your work properly, and, and this is, this, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm going to go, for me, quite deep, okay? My friends call me a swimming pool. I'm only deep at one end, mostly shallow, <laughs> okay? So this is me having th to think on the spot. Bear with me, <laughs> right? But if we truly understand this work, you talked about our work style and our who we really are, our personal style when we're at home and sitting mm -hmm. and watching TV, there's a lot of pressure on people in the workplace to assume they need to be a certain person oh, yeah. and behave in a certain way. Good point. Which means you're not being authentic, mm. so you can't be as good as you can be in my head. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we can re re remove these assumptions and truly, as you suggest, work to each other's strengths, then it gives people permission to be who they really are. Mm. And if you've got a team of people who have got permission to be who they really are, and they all understand and, as we said, accept each other's differences and work to those strengths. Wow, I've seen magic happen in organisations. And also the reverse. So people often, you know, workplace stress is often referred to extensively now. We know it's a real place where we often get stressed. And, and often when people do the profiling tool in the workshop, they say, do you want me to do this as I am at work or as I am at home? <laughs> and I always ask the question, why is there a difference? Yeah. Now, it's a leading question because I know for many of us, we have to you know, behave slightly differently at work than we do at home. The point I'm making, though, is if I'm having to be a different person, at work, which is different to having to just maybe adapt my behaviours, flex yes. slightly. Yeah. So if I'm having to really dial up continuously a 
part of my personality style that is not natural to me, it's one of my lower elements, that can be exhausting. Oh, yeah. And it creates genuine workplace stress, trying to be somebody that I'm not. You need to be somebody who you are, not trying to be somebody who you're not. Now, again, the caveat is there are times we need to be decisive when, at work when we're not naturally decisive at other times. We understand that. Yeah. But there's something called overextension in a couple of the profiling systems. When we are constantly overextending or dialing up, as I like to call it, it's on full. You know, imagine you're turning it on, it's just whack, it's whack it onto 10. You know, it's on full. And that's not naturally me. That drains us dramatically. And we need to recognise that, as a leader in particular, we need to make sure people are not dialing up. <laughs> what have I said that's made you chuckle? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Don't let my wife know that I'm telling you this, right? <laughs> but in my work... I'm reasonably detail-driven, okay? I'm a bit of a researcher um, mm. because because my work depends upon punctuality as a keynote speaker. I'm there, my bag's packed, triple check, I've got everything in my bag, two sets of my PowerPoint slides, I've got everything, a roadmap, an AA route, for, you name it. If something goes wrong, it's probably not my fault, put it that way. Mm-hmm. As soon as I'm on holiday, and I mean as soon as I stop work, let alone on the plane or on the beach, I become this, huh? <laughs> and he says, what do you want to do? Whatever. And she goes, how could you be so different? And I realise it's it's the pressure I put on my, upon myself at work to make sure I don't screw up by having everything base covered, bit of a control freak, which I alluded to in the, the last session, micromanaging. And as soon as I'm able to be myself, I'm just kind of, oh. But what's really interesting though, Dave, is that that's your self-expectation. So you're dialing up, you're recognising, maybe because of being organised and structured, I need to dial that up for myself. The challenge is, is when somebody else is demanding you to do that. So you're demanding Ooh, it in yourself, good point. Well which, is, which is recognising so all of us in our lower uh, elements of our personality style, we need to recognise sometimes we need to dial that up. So if you're not detail-orientated, there'll be times you know you need to put a to-do list together or get yourself organised. Great. The challenge is, is when somebody else is expecting you to do that continuously. So you're being demanded. That's being demanded of you. So you're demanding that of yourself from a professional high standards. That in itself is exhausting. It will take time out of you. But it's when somebody else is demanding. Look, for goodness sake, why do you get emotional every time I ask you to do something? Just man up <laughs> is often a phrase I hear. Man up. You can't even use that phrase now. But we'll say things like that because we're irritated that the person isn't just dealing with it. Come on, be more decisive. Get on with it. And that person feels, oh, if I'm going to keep my job, I've got to do this. There's a, there's a phrase called psychological safety which is that people need to feel psychologically safe as well as physically safe. So we're thinking about farming here. First of all, we need to feel physically safe, that I'm not going to break my leg or fall off, you know, or a cow's not going to land on me or I'm not going to get harmed physically. That's health and safety. But psychological safety is where actually I feel safe enough to either speak up, be who I am, be the best version of myself. And as leaders, we've got to focus on both of those, not just the physical health and safety aspects, but the psychological, emotional, even spiritual um, welfare of our staff. Now, you might be thinking, oh, God, this is just too much, Paul, to think about. (laughs) It isn't. And you do it in bite-sized chunks. We're not expecting everyone to suddenly go out and go, right, I need to be thinking about psychological safety. I need to be thinking about personality styles. You don't. You need to be listen to this back again. Listen to the first session back again, you'll gradually begin to understand 
the benefits and, 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 and the simplicity, actually, of what we're talking about. Because you're doing it subconsciously a lot of the time anyway. Yeah. A lot of what we're yeah. talking about, we're doing. We know when people are different to us. And we will adjust a little bit. And it's about people watching. and not- I love the phrase, you need to notice what you notice. Yeah. Instead of just... So then again... You need to notice what you notice. You need to notice what you notice. I really like that. So, so instead of just having a conversation with someone and walking away, notice how they're responding to it. Yes. Notice their really good. communication style with you. And then next time, adapt. It, 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 it's, it's about application, not acquisition of knowledge. Yes. Very good. Very Ooh. wise this morning, Mr. Heiner. Oh, I'm on it. Like I'm on <laughs> yeah. it today, mate. Very good. Honest. So, so, Paul... I'm going, to, I'm going to finish... I, I normally finish with an upbeat question or something trivial. I've actually got a bit of a cow question for A cow you. question, okay. okay. We can so do cow questions. I talk about cows and rhinos. Rhinos, good. Cows, not so good in psychological terms. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you more later. But what if... And I'm sure we haven't got any farm owners or managers listening to this now who are lies. I'm sure we haven't, really. <laughs> but what if they're the type of farmer who goes... All well and good. I haven't got a problem with my team. I I know them inside out. And anyway, it shouldn't matter. I'm the boss. What's really interesting about that question is often when I run, say, open workshops or we have a group of people coming, uh, or even maybe the farm manager has come but not the farm owner, (laughs) often the farm manager will say, the boss really needed to be here. But he or she doesn't think they need to know any of this stuff because they're perfectly okay. So this is about where we need to be humble, I think. And it's often it's not um, just our perception of ourselves that's important. It's the perception of other people's perception of us. So it's asking the team again, being humble enough to know just because everything seems to be okay. Are we assuming that? Or have we checked in and asked the team? Have we had a five-minute conversation over a coffee? Have we done an annual review to see actually how they really are feeling? Have we taken the time? Or is it actually just, everything's okay with my team? <laughs> but I think I'm just going to ignore the fact that it might not be. So it's, I think it's about asking yourself a really hard question. Is it? How do I know it is? Now, there may be situations where we genuinely do know everyone's happy and there's no staff turnover. Everyone's loving where they're working. Great. But all I would say is don't assume that just because you think it. Just because you think I have no problems with my team, what will happen is one day someone will leave and you'll go, what on earth happened there? How did that happen? I thought thought everybody was fine. We just need to talk and listen. Listen, actually. And consider the consequences of not engaging with this. Because I've, I've not thought of it in a farming context, but in business, if ever I do sort of well-being or stress prevention workshops Mm -hmm. with business leaders they sit there going really stress prevention this isn't relevant to me then i point out to them are you aware as a business owner you've got legal liabilities Mm -hmm. around your team having stress prevention stress management and they go well so what there's legal responsibilities for everything i'll say okay let's look at this what if one of your key players let's just say one of your um senior farm hands um or or your farm manager, mm-hmm. goes off long-term sick through work-related stress. Now, health and safety executive are going to come along and go, what did you do to manage this person's well-being and stress? And if you say nothing, you're liable. Mm-hmm. This is how important a f- well-functioned, 
sorry, well-functioning, a good, a high-functioning, well-balanced, emotionally intelligent team mm. can be. Because the benefits, colossal. But do the maths. Let's just, if you're not, if you're not scared by the legal, let's talk money for you. Right now, write a list for me of all of the things you would have to do if one of your key team members went off long-term, six to eight months ill during your busy period, your most productive time on the farm. Write down about the cost of replacing that person, advertising that vacancy, Mm -hmm. interviewing, training, developing... Um, maybe they need different equipment or some specialised stuff. It, all of the costs plus plus their wage ongoing and the costs in product, loss of productivity, loss of profit, uh, loss of effectiveness, um, increasing turnover. Sorry, decreasing turnover is a loss of productivity. Yeah. All of these have got a financial value. I suggest that it would be staggering to you the financial cost of not putting this on the wellbeing agenda on your farm. Mm. And I think it's interesting, often um, I get calls from farmers who are saying, yeah, from a HR advice side, legal advice, saying, what do I do with this person that's gone off sick? And almost it's a bit like the analogy I give, it's a bit like fitting the burger alarm after you've been burgled. <laughs> you know, yeah. And many of us do that. We'll wait until we're burgled and think, I really should have had a burger alarm, shouldn't I? So I'll fit one now. And actually, it's almost too late then because the problem has been uh, further up. Now, OK, we understand that not everybody goes off ill because of workplace stress. It can be personal stress, things going on at home. But as David says, if you add up all those costs... The cost of not just spending a little bit of time to understand your team, to get to know them, to be able to communicate effectively in a way that works for them. That is, and not expecting people to be like you if they are different, then just lowers the whole stress level. And you said encouraging people to be the best version of themselves, being authentically who they are. That can pay huge dividends by not having people off sick. The challenge is it doesn't appear on your P&L. You know, the cost might appear in your, in your P&L of sending them on a course or getting a consultant in to help. Whereas the real cost of not doing that will be when they go off sick. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's it's an investment, not a cost. You know, people in investing in people, it might sound a bit cliched, but it is the most important investment we can make. And yet in the farming industry, it's one of the areas where we often invest the least or what we might get is the problem at the moment you know is this woke generation day they all want to go off sick they get a bit of a snuffly cold and they're all off sick deal with it you know the world has changed yeah people don't want to work 100 hours 10 days on before they get two days off they're gonna get tired (laughs) people are gonna get exhausted and we don't look after them both mentally and physically yeah then you're gonna have all these costs that you illustrated that will then come up further down the line Thank you very much, Paul. I'd, I'm sure if anybody wants to go deeper with Paul on any of this subject around um, sort of understanding your workforce better, uh, just get in touch with him. We're here to help you, all right? Absolutely. So we'll see you in a short while. Go and, go and empty, fill up again, have a brew, put your feet up on the tractor, and, uh, yeah, just get ready for a Speak good soon. second half.